0: This is Champagne Problems, where we come together to explore the gray areas of drinking. This is a judgment-free zone where we can all take a look at how we make decisions about our relationship with alcohol. Hello, all my lovelies. Welcome back. We've got a special co-host joining us today. You may remember from episode 42, Alice Rogers Purser. Alice will be joining us today representing the gray area perspective that we so love having just to balance it all out. So today's guest, man oh man, I will do a brief forewarning that there will be cuss words in today's episode. It's inevitable because today's guest wrote the book, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. His name is Mark Manson. He also wrote the follow-up book, Everything is Fucked, a book about hope. In 2017, Amazon Charts reported The Subtle Art was the highest selling nonfiction book worldwide. Good goody-muddy. Mark also put out a book with Will Smith, co-authoring Will's memoir. I don't even know how to express the excitement I've got for this conversation, so let's just get it going. Mark Manson, welcome to Champagne Problems. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. We are very happy that you agreed to participate. We really appreciate it. We're all big fans, um, and we're excited for this conversation. So let's start... By giving our listeners just a little background. I think that's always the easiest thing to start with, you know, kind of where you're from, college, sure, a little bit out of college, that kind of thing.
1: Okay. So I was born in Austin, Texas. Um, so I I lived in Austin before it was cool. And ah, uh, nice.
2: You made it cool.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. Uh with the school up in Boston, um, graduated, started uh A small web business, lived abroad for a number of years, kind of did a nomad thing, lived, you know, moved from country to country working off my laptop. Um, Eventually, the web business kind of spun into a blog. The blog blew up, became very popular around 2012, 2013. By 2015, I got a book deal. That book became The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, became a huge bestseller. Um, and since then, I've gone on and written a few other books um, and still have blog and the online business and online courses and everything. So I've been in the personal development space for about 15 years now. Uh, I've also lived all over the world. Yeah. And I'm, nice. I'm excited. I'm excited to be here because so I, you know, to give listeners a background, <laughs> I'm not doing many interviews right now. But uh, we're honored. We are honored. I I, I just, I just had, I have had kind of a reckoning with alcohol in my own life this year. And so when you guys reached out, when you guys reached out, I was like, all right, I think I got to take this one because this is, this is very like salient for me right now for sure.
0: Very cool, man. <laughs> Very cool. Well, I'm glad we caught you on the on this side of it and not not the, not the front <laughs> side of it. Yeah, right. <laughs> that might have been a big fuck off to us. <laughs> uh. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, uh, well, that's cool, man. Thanks for sharing all that. And we will absolutely dig into, in, into some of that as we go along. But, um, I I'm, I'm interested, you started an online business. So t- tell me a little bit about that. Like, cause I'm, I'm certainly interested in how you got going writing and, and like you said mm-hmm. in, in the kind of, you know, life and how to live it kind of space. Um, how did that all start and what was the online business?
1: So it, it, it initially started, it was completely on accident. Um, uh, So I graduated school in the summer of 2007. So I graduated into the Great Recession, worst job market in 85 years. Uh, And so it was, you know, I was broke, all my friends were broke, like nobody could get a job. And so I had been kind of messing around online and I'd done a little bit of web development for fun in college. And I started finding all these kind of like online seminars about how to build an online business, how to make money in your underwear, you know, whatever. (laughs)
2: Um,
1: And, 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 you know, I, I had nothing to do. So I started diving down that rabbit hole. And so initially I just, I started a couple like really simple kind of affiliate marketing e-commerce businesses. And I was literally just throwing anything at a wall and seeing what would stick. And I was trying to like create websites and blogs in, the stuff that i was interested in um so i tried to create a website for video games i created a website uh, around politics i created websites around like parties and clubs and of course being a 20 something single guy i i created a website around dating advice and relationship advice uh, and that was the one that that kind of stuck and started at least got a little bit of traction um all, and your, so that, all your wisdom I, yeah well yeah all, 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 the thing, all the things what not to do pretty much uh, <laughs> um so so that when i started writing i started writing a lot for for that website and it developed a little bit of an audience i mostly just wrote about my experiences and the dumb stuff i was doing and uh <laughs> Developed a little bit of an audience and I started getting questions and I'm like, well, shit, now these people are asking questions. <laughs> I should probably figure out what the hell I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, right? So go to the bookstores, buy a bunch of books, start doing some research. And and it kind of just created this cycle of, uh, you know, it, the it initially was kind of dating advice for like 20-something-year-old guys. And then it kind of became dating advice for everybody. And then it kind of became life advice for everybody. And, and, you know, it it just evolved over many, many years.
3: That's so awesome. Well, I loved, I mean, so Models, your first book was really about teaching men, I mean, to not, to not pull the girl's hair on the playground, but to actually be vulnerable (laughs) and honest. And like, you know, you don't have to come in on the white horse and save her. You can just, you can win her by just showing that you're a vulnerable kind person, which
1: you could just treat her like a human. Like oh a my
3: human. gosh, <laughs> right. shocking. Right. Uh, so,
1: what are you, an uh, alien? So, I know, right? Unbelievable, uh, yeah. don't tell anyone
3: that secret. But I love that too. The cool thing about your book was that people would actually share it versus like, oh, you know, don't tell the women about this secret thing, you know? Well,
1: it, you know, it's funny because, so the men's dating advice market back then was, it was dominated, there was a thing back then called like pickup artist mm-hmm. stuff and uh and it so it was dominated by that and and it was just really gross advice it was like you know make up a story about your friend's ferrari to impress her like that like this was like this was literally the stuff being sold to guys um and so i i I felt pretty strongly you know i i after a couple years in that market i i kind of found myself on a mission of like to clean up the space a little bit you know because it's Obviously, you do want to give guys advice that works and and help them, but um, and, you know and, and help them like stop being whiny little bitches, but like at the right. same time you don't mm-hmm. you don't want to turn them into monsters right so uh, so so that book was kind of like a i I always saw it as like a, a guide to emotional maturity for men and mm-hmm. disguise as like a dating book. Yeah. Um, and one of the things I believed really strongly when I wrote it, because like you said, like all the the stuff in the market at the time, it was like guys were like hiding it from their girlfriends and embarrassed to show it. Yeah. And I, I remember thinking to myself, I'm like, you know, if somebody writes a, a, a men's dating book that is actually good, mm-hmm. women are actually going to be the ones buying it yeah. for their brothers and their sons and their, uh, you know. Yeah. Yeah. their nephews or whatever. And uh, and so it, one of the proudest things of my career is, is that is what's happened with yeah. that book, is that I get a lot of emails from women saying, I bought this for my son or I bought it for my brother, uh, which is just fantastic.
0: Or maybe they read it too and are now not turned on by Ferrari stories. Right. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's got to be a piece to that that tells a guy that if a girl is turned on by your friend having a, a ferrari then maybe that's not who you should date <laughs> yeah
1: it's you know it's one of those things that it's a both sides thing you know it's like maybe yeah. the maybe the girl maybe the women should stop being turned on by ferrari stories <laughs> exactly
3: exactly but I think that book came out the same time as the book for women that was like "Men Love Bitches" and all that stuff, you know. And you're like, really? Yeah. Okay, yeah, it's not me at it's... all. But I be a bitch. That, I that... I'm
1: so glad I left that that oh, yeah. market. Like, yeah. it's 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 so much of it is just taking like frustrated, angry people, most of whom were just dumped by somebody, and oh, yeah. and. And validating their desire to be an asshole. Right. <laughs>
3: right. Right. But you come along and you're different. And that's kind of what you did with the subtle arc of not giving a fuck. Because everybody was like the power of positive thinking and like the secret. And then your book was so different from that, you know? Yeah. It's just really cool. So
1: Yeah. I, I had a I had a similar mission of like, you know, kind of punk like puncturing the balloon of delusional positivity.
3: Yeah. <laughs> I like yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. Irrational,
0: irrational expectations manifesting your future.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's it's I I feel like it's it's the self-help genre has gotten a lot better over the last 5 5 or 6 years, but it's I remember when I started uh writing kind of cuz like kind of so the 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 way the transition happened is, you know, once I started doing well in the dating advice space I started to realize that like most people's dating problems are not actually dating problems. Like they're <laughs> the
0: personal personal problems.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like they 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 have emotional dysfunctions or major yeah. lifestyle issues that are going unresolved and they're just showing up in their dating or or romantic life. And um so that that was kind of how the pivot into just personal development in general happened because it's like how many times can you write an article about like three best first date spots, you know? Yeah. Like it just right. gets really superficial and tedious after a while. So um, so I started writing a lot more about things like self-esteem and um, emotional intelligence and maturity and all that stuff. And that's kind of how I pivoted into personal development. And And with that pivot, I was kind of, the way I was appalled at the men's dating advice space about how just manipulative it was you know, in the personal development space, I was kind of appalled at how like just fuzzy feel goody it was. You know, because it's it's like real real change is not always pleasant. In fact, it's usually it's unpleasant. Rarely.
3: Oh right. my gosh! It's yes. r- yeah, yeah. Growth
1: yeah. doesn't it's... come
0: from pleasant pleasantries. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. It's fucking grueling. <laughs> yeah.
3: And there's pain, and you talk about that. You're like, it's painful. Like growth is painful, yes. and I, and I love how you also talk about like action first. Instead of like yeah. manifesting the Ferrari on you know by putting a picture on your wall, actually do something that might get <laughs> that might you, to, you that, that you a make money, you right. money to buy the Ferrari. Like that was just such a yeah. cool concept. Like when I read your book, those were so many like of the key concepts that I took away. You know,
0: yeah. well the big thing that stands out with me is 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 honesty. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel yeah. like and there's there's obviously most multiple facets of honesty, and there's there's kind of external and being able to perceive the realities of around us. And I think that's a big thing that you, you know, when you say puncturing, it's really like, you know, the world sucks, man. Life sucks. It's going to be very fucking hard. And as soon as you realize that, the sooner you can actually get through it. And that yep. is a form of honesty, but it also starts kind of internally and personally. And if we're not honest with ourselves and who we are, and, or at least that we don't even know who we are, you know, that kind of internal honesty is where it starts. And I see, I, or I hear so much of that in your messaging.
1: Yeah, for sure. I, I, I think it's, you can't, until, you, until you're honest with yourself about what you're dealing with, you can't solve it.
2: Right. Yeah.
1: So it, as long as you're diluting yourself or distracting yourself from whatever is going on, you can't actually tackle anything.
3: Right.
2: Yeah. yeah.
3: And there's going to be problems. Like, you all, like I loved your book because I first picked it up because I was having a lot of anxiety and I was worried about like what other people thought. And it was a lot mm-hmm. of like anxiety and, and, and just fears. And my hairdresser actually recommended your book in like 2017 and I downloaded it and I started reading it immediately and it just blew my mind because it was like, Think about the five people that really matter. Those are the five mm-hmm. people whose opinion of you matters. Everyone else can go fuck themselves. And your book is not, fuck it. Like, it's all art of yeah. not giving a fuck. Like, it's not, don't give a fuck. It's like, give a fuck about what matters, you know? Yeah. And that just blew my mind and it really saved me. And that's why yeah. I, I just loved it. And like, so many people are like, you know, your life shouldn't have problems. And your book was saying, no, you're going to have problems, but it's how you deal with them. And it's facing them and like accepting that they're your problems.
1: And it's also finding the problems that you're happy to have.
3: Right. Right. You know, because right. there,
1: there, there is a category of problem that, like, you're, you're glad that that's in your life. Right. And so it's just, it's, it's about upgrading problems from undesirable to des- desirable problems. Yeah. The, the problems never go away.
3: Yeah. You gave that example because I run marathons. And it, like, blew my mind because you say in the oh, book, yeah. if you tell me to go <laughs> run a marathon, I'm jacked. Tell Robbie to go run a yeah. marathon tomorrow, he might start to cry. <laughs> You know, yeah, <laughs> like, so it's like your problem that you have could to someone else be a gift and it's just how you view it. So sure. I love I loved it. because I, I
0: love it. the idea of um, almost intentional suffering, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know, putting yourself mm-hmm. through. I mean, call mm-hmm. it challenges, call it whatever. But do you follow David Goggins? Do oh, you know, I love David. I God thought you I might. Love him. So I thought you might. I'm so glad yeah, you do. Because yeah, there yeah. there's, <laughs> there's two people in this world, people who hate him and people who love him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I love his intention of suffering. <laughs> Stay <stuff>. hard. Yes. He's such a beast. <laughs> he's so good. Yeah, so he's yeah, all about yeah. pain
3: and suffering. And yeah, I mean, when you try to change, there's going to be pain. And you just have to accept that.
1: Yeah he's like a master at is training himself to like almost diluting himself into enjoying the pain mm-hmm. you know yeah. I, I remember i remember mm-hmm. reading his book or, or listening to an interview of him and he was saying that like you know he like does these like four-hour workouts and he was saying like yeah i don't listen to music and no, to me that sounds That's that so sounds like he's, he's, he's like he's like yeah the music distracts you from the pain. From the pain. <laughs> from the pain.
0: <laughs> I don't I suffer like, as much with music. Yeah. yeah, man. I
1: was like, dude, that's hardcore. That's like next level. <laughs> yeah. That's nuts. So I remembered what I was going to say. Yeah.
0: And, and it was um, you saying that, you know, we we learn to look at things in our lives that are painful, problematic, you know, whatever, and, and kind of shift the way we see it and our perception of it. And I do that in my recovery space about, being an alcoholic yeah. I mean I'm mm. I've very much suffered from the addiction to alcohol you know it took me to very very low places and so now I'm on the other side of it and, and there's all these rewards and I'm and and as a result of that I'm this t- totally different person like I would never do the work I'm doing now if I weren't an yeah. alcoholic right. and so it's it's this yeah. like I appreciate the the fact that I have that or had that or or, or went through it because look at me now kind of kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Well, and, th- and this is the funny thing that's kind of paradoxical. And I think I-, I mentioned this in subtle art, but it, I think it, you know, it doesn't, it, it's one of those things that I think everybody experiences, but nobody talks about, which is like, if you name the, say the three most influential experiences of your life, uh, chances are they are, they map pretty well to the three most painful experiences of your life. Mm-hmm. Like it's generally people, it's generally like when there's a tragedy, when there's a death, when there's an illness, when there's an addiction and a recovery process, like it, it's something like that, that people, that wakes people up or sets them on a completely different trajectory. I remember, um, you know, when I was pitching Subtle Art uh, to publishers, my agent and I were in New York and we were going to a bunch of different meetings and meetings meeting with different editors and, you know, some of the editors I felt like kind of got it and, you know, understood it a little bit. And then some editors, it was really clear that they didn't get it at all and didn't understand what I was going for. And I remember I walked into, so the, the guy I ended up working with was a guy named Luke Dempsey. And I remember I walked into his office to take the meeting and uh, he, he came in, put the book proposal down on the, on the desk. And he said, I'm a cancer survivor. It's the best thing that ever happened to me. And I'm gonna publish your book. I don't care what it takes. Oh
0: my God. And
1: and I was like, okay, that's it. Like day's done, meeting's over, you know, he gets it. He gets it, you know? And and, and, uh, so it's, you know, I think we all have those stories, but um, they're not like, they don't sell well. Right, (laughs) yeah, we don't (laughs) just (laughs) offer them up. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah you know it's it's
1: no nobody like wants to hear like you know I got cancer and that's how I turned my life around
2: <laughs> like they, they, they
1: they want to hear what book you read what seminar you went to you know what podcast you listened to that, oh, you know, man. that, that sort of thing
0: <laughs> wow spot on man that is, and that's that's very much about around our mission of this podcast it's just the normalization of this conversation. And we yeah. obviously we had to kind of figure out how to do that and, and not turn people away. But, right. um, you know, that certainly is the mission to to bring things to the forefront that we don't feel comfortable talking about.
1: Right. Right. For sure.
3: I loved it. I mean, I just thought one more thing I want to say about subtle art, I could talk about it all day cause I loved it so much. But <laughs> I, like, It was funny cause I read it for the anxiety perspective and then I read it again when I started getting sober curious and it's even, more insightful this time around because you see like trying not to drink is painful like sometimes it really Mm -hmm. like it's hard it's really hard and so but looking at your book and be like look it's going to be painful it's going to be hard but the action is just not drinking and then or trying not to drink and then you know you get to that other side so I just I mean and I also loved in your book how you talk about I think there was a whole chapter on like you're gonna die you know, like, you're going to, like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not, it's, you know, it's you're not. Insignificant. You're insignificant. You're insignificant. I love that, too. You're not special. Wait, yeah. what? Like, you know, but, like, yeah. every day, it, every day doesn't have to be incredible. Like, you're going to be discovered, and it's going to just be magical. It could just be you sitting around reading a book, and what if that's your metric for a happy day? Because then you're happy, Right. Yeah. you know? Yeah. I, I loved your example in the book, too. It's funny. Um, I have a friend who never responds to my text messages, oh. and it makes me so mad. <laughs> And I call my mom and I'm like, she doesn't like me. And then I read your book again and it was like, oh my gosh, what if the metric is every time we're together, she and I have a great time. And we do. Every yeah. time we're together, we yeah. love and have fun. And it just totally changed my perspective of our friendship because it's like, you know what, she's not going to respond to text, but when we see each other, we have a great time. Yeah. And it just took away all of the bad energy around that relationship. So I love where you talk about yeah. metrics of happiness and you know what you qualify them as. So.
0: Huh. Yeah. Metrics of happiness. Metrics of happiness. I like yeah. it. Because yeah. Because we have this, we have this view of happiness, this hallmark bullshit. Right. You right. Know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. We get to define what success is for ourselves. Right. We get to define what right. happiness is for ourselves. And and I think a lot of us aren't aware that we're, we are defining those. Right. Yeah. Like we're, we're kind of, we're kind of just on autopilot, you know, defining them in ways that other people Probably define them for us, right? And um, and so I think it's it's like it's difficult, but it's a very important process to kind of like ask, you know, what is happiness like? Right. What do I need to make me happy, and why do I need that? And when did I decide that I decide right. that I needed
2: that?
3: Right.
1: You know.
2: Yeah,
3: you give the great example in the book of the beetle that gets rejected, but he goes on to be like mm-hmm. totally happy. And then you talk about the guy that gets kicked out of um, Metallica, and like go, you know, like it's just how you view it. <laughs> yeah. It's how you view that. So, for um sure. Yeah, I I thought it was a great book. I think it should be required reading for everybody. And <laughs> I um,
1: agree with you. You know? Yeah. Of course. You do. <laughs> I mean, I mean, oh, I'm a little biased, but uh, I know. agree
0: with you. I uh <laughs> so. I work in, in the field of recovery and, and work with addicts and alcoholics, and I recommend everything is fucked to a lot of them. I mean, the, oh, really? ones that, the ones that I think are, 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 you know, candidates for that kind of thinking and, and it would appeal to, which are a lot. I, I, I recommend it. It's, yeah. and they all Interesting. come back. Holy shit. Holy shit. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> I find it kind of spiritual in nature. Where, mm-hmm. where do you fall on the kind of spirituality plane?
1: Uh, I'm, well, I would, I I guess I would call myself an atheist, but I'm, I'm very sure. like, not, yeah, I'm not very, um, it's not that big. It's not that big of a part of my identity. Yeah. Uh, so I grew, I grew up, I grew up in Texas. So I grew up in the church and I grew up in a fairly religious family. I went to a, uh, Christian school growing up. So I've gotten plenty of, Jesus in my life. yeah. (laughs) Um, So, and I think, and, you know, it's even though I, I, I decided that I don't, you know, I don't see myself as Christian, you know, growing up in those communities, I think gave me a lot of respect Mm -hmm. for religion and, and the power of belief in people's lives. Uh, When I was in college and in my early to mid twenties, I kind of got into Buddhism, did a lot of meditation, did some retreats was very fascinated with like kind of Eastern spirituality, but I wouldn't really call myself a Buddhist either. Um, so it's a religion is something I've always been very interested in, right. but it's not, it hasn't been uh, a huge part of like my, my yeah. identity or my life. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm similar in the sense that religion is the same thing for me. I mean, I grew up in the South as well. We're in North mm-hmm. Carolina and grew up in the church and I, and I grasp, mm-hmm. I grasp the messaging and and i and i'm yep. super interested in this in the messaging and 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 i follow a lot of the messaging because it is good but as far as actually what i believe you know is out there and yeah. all, that, all that kind of stuff that falls more into the kind of spiritual place and 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 how that aligns with everything is fucked is is really does kind of go with the whole ins- we're in, insignificant you know we're we're meaningless <laughs> like we yeah. we don't really mean a whole lot <laughs> And, and what that does for me is it helps me kind of release the control I try to have over everything. Right. Like I am, yeah. not, I'm not in control. And that's a very spiritual practice.
1: Well, I, you know, it, it's funny. I think I just made the connection of probably why you, you recommend that book to a lot of people in recovery because the, the thing that that book grapples with, and it's something that I was kind of grappling with when I wrote it um, is kind of the surrendering to a higher power thing yeah. uh you know because that whole that whole book is about just nihilism it's about like
2: <laughs> oh, no. how no. do
1: you how do you cope with nihilism how do you like where do you find if you're not religious and you you want to kind of maintain a more scientific worldview um where do you find that higher power like what is yeah. that guiding principle for yourself and exactly. that's something that uh, I've definitely struggled with in the past, um, but and and I think that book is very much a reflection of that.
0: Yeah, totally. It's yeah. fantastic.
3: So you believe that when you die, you just that's it, like you're fucked, like you're just done is that. <laughs> <laughs> what you're telling me
2: I, worm food.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, I honestly, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know, and it's like I'll worry about it when it happens. So.
3: <laughs> and you won't even no, you know won't. when it happens. I won't even. Kind of. I, won't, I won't be able <laughs> yeah. to work. Yeah.
1: It's funny. I I really yeah. don't think very much about what happens after death. I'm, mean, you know, I figure while daunting. I'm alive, it's I, a little I should be I should be more worried about what happens before my death. Yeah. You know? But I
3: love that. Yeah. Like live today. You know. Like this is all you have. Yeah. So don't worry so much. But I do think people can get caught up on that. You know. Like.
1: Yeah. For sure, and I and I do think it can. It's. Uh, it's a way to, I mean, it, if you do adopt a lot of beliefs about afterlife and all that sort of stuff, like it, it can influence your behavior Absolutely. in the here and now. And, and it's not necessarily in a positive way. Right. Uh, so I think it's, this is what we have, what's in front of us, you know? So like I try to stay focused on that.
3: I love yeah. that. That's great.
0: I uh, I actually call it the deathbed perspective mm-hmm. where I'm not <laughs> concerned about of course, afterwards, I'm concerned about being at that moment where I realize I am about to move on and reflecting back on everything in my life, right. yeah, I don't want to sit there and go, "Ah, shit, man, I was a real asshole right yeah. before I died <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I try to live for sure. every day preparing for that moment whenever it comes yeah. to be satisfied, yeah.
3: For so sure. I'm dying to know, what about the drinking? When did you cut yeah. back? When did you... Let's do, Let's it. do it. Let's do get it. Let's get in there. Yes. Here. Yeah. Because your book um, opens with Bukowski. So I mean, like, you know, like... I and... know.
1: <laughs> well, it's funny too. I mean, this is exciting for me and a little bit nerve wracking. I've never really talked about this a whole lot publicly.
0: You're, um, you're, you're in a safe space. Yes. You're in a very safe space. Yes. <laughs> I appreciate that.
1: Um, but uh, no, I am excited to talk about it because it's been a big deal for me this year. Um, so I I have been I, I guess I would say a heavy drinker, uh. Pretty much my entire adult life and part of my teenage years. Um, I don't like you know the the whole alcohol alcoholism is a fuzzy there's a fuzzy definition around yeah, that
2: spectrum, um, it's a spectrum.
1: It's a spectrum. Yeah. And so there have been times in my life where I've kind of wondered if I was a highly functional alcoholic. I, I have a number of highly functional alcoholics in my family.
2: Yep.
1: Um, but it, it was like, I drank a lot. Uh, I fucking had a great time. <laughs> um, and, it, and for most of my, you know, my 20s and early 30s, I would say it wasn't really, it wasn't drastically interfering with my life. Um I was still being able to work well, my relationships were fine, stuff like you know, it's just waking up with hangovers and
2: yeah
1: uh, maybe and maybe getting, yeah, getting drunk and being an asshole probably more than I should have been. Um, but it it started where it, like the, for me it actually started with health stuff um, so in my when my career kind of took off, uh maybe 2016 2017 uh i started getting all these work opportunities and i started traveling a lot and i wrote in the span of 5 years i wrote three books and made a movie wow. and so so i was like just insane work schedule um i think in 2019 i was uh away from home for 5 out of the 12 months on trips like business trips and stuff yeah. um so and then on top of that, you know, I was getting older, I was hitting my mid thirties. So the same habits that made my twenties so fun were like, just wrecking me in my thirties yeah. and, uh, you know, just absolutely exhausted, gained tons of weight, um, you know, struggled to get up in the morning forgetting things like it wheels started to get rickety on (laughs) the, on the wagon, on the wagon, (laughs) and uh, um, and I started, you know, and I had a couple health scares during that time, Um, and so in 20, uh, fast forward to 2020, um, I'd actually right before the pandemic, and I I hired a health coach, because I was like, man, I'm getting fat as shit, Um, I feel like shit all the time, Uh, like I, I know I need to work less like that was obvious to me, but, um, I had a lot of habits with food and, and alcohol that were, you know, kind of compounding everything else. Yeah. Um, Hey, real quick, were
0: were the health scares alcohol related? No, no, it was, uh, just, just checking.
1: I mean, I'm sure the alcohol contributed, but it, it was, um, uh, yeah, it was just kind of general, like chest pains.
2: Stuff. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. Stuff like that. Gotcha. Um, I, I was just very unhealthy in general, um, physically. And um, so anyway, I, I hired a health coach. And so we kind of, and then the pandemic happened and pandemic was actually very convenient because it forced me to stay home and it forced me to eat at home. And it like, <laughs> it forced me to kind of like start dealing with a lot of these habits. And it was funny because um, my health coach was kind of the whole time he was like, you know, I, I would get on a call with him and kind of talk to him about, about the last couple of weeks and what I did and whatever. And He was like, yeah, so how much did you drink? And I would tell him and he was like, did you need to drink that much? <laughs> you know, he was just very, very non-judgmental. Nice. Yeah, yeah
2: he, he was very nonjudgmental. He, he was he just like,
1: he's like, huh. <laughs> right? Thursday night happy hour and you had five old fashions. <laughs> All right. Um was that necessary? <laughs> uh,
2: Did you know, have you, you thought of,
1: yeah, yeah, have you thought about the repercussions of this? And, and I was pretty resistant to it uh, at first. And, you know, when the pandemic... When things kind of opened up from the pandemic, I went back to my New York social life, which, as, as you know, mm-hmm. Robbie, like, New York social life is all about drinking. Right. You're just drinking all the fucking time.
2: Yep.
1: And... Um, And it was funny because kind of going back to it, I was like, wow, this is not, this is not feeling good. This is not, uh, it's not sitting well with me. Like I feel the repercussions the next day and the the day after. And so fast forward another year and I moved out here to LA, Um, I've lost a bunch of weight. I've gotten a lot healthier. I took time off work, you know, everything's kind of moved in the right direction. And, And I started to notice, you know, once I've kind of, fixed all these other things in my life each time i would go and drink i get like the the effects that it had on my body physically and on my mind mentally not not just the the day i drank but like a day later two days later three days later yeah Yeah, like it blew my mind and i'm like i'm still feeling this like i'm still feeling like a brain fog like three days later um and i had no idea like it took years of like slowing down and like getting other like everything else in my life kind of like figured out for me to even notice that and i was like shit i've been living like this for like 20 years and i had no idea (laughs) yeah so i finally uh it was, I think, beginning of the summer. So I, I finally started, like, kind of backing down. My health coach was like, huh, you think you're ready to give up some drinking? You know, like, maybe slow down a little bit, maybe do a month without a drink. And, uh, you know, he finally, like, worn me down after two years. Wow. And, uh, and there was a, I went to an event at the beginning of the summer, uh, like, four or five months ago now. And uh, I forget why, I, I just got hammered. I don't remember why I was just you know you're hanging out with some people at the bar. It's after, a Tuesday, after. right? I mean, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I, you know, and I'm waking up. It's the second day of the event, and I am so hungover. <laughs> I I can barely get out of bed, and I'm like, I paid like two thousand dollars to be at this fucking thing.
0: Right. <laughs> oh man,
1: and I can barely even attend. I was like, this is so fucking stupid. Like it it was kind of like everything that had been building up for years and years, I was like, this is so dumb. Like, what am I doing? This is so irrational. Uh, And so I I remember I came and it took me like two days to get over that hangover. And I remember I came home and my next call with the health coach, I was like, all right, dude, I think I'm ready. I think like, I was like, let's do a month. And and he was like, great, let's do it. And he started sending me like, you know, because he knows I love data and, studies and stuff so he starts sending me all these like nutritional studies on alcohol and how it fucks you up and yeah. how it's like messing your life up and all this stuff And and i'm reading it and i'm like all right you know this is kind of fueling me and we get to a month and i i, I felt great like yeah. one of the most productive months of my life i'm sleeping like a baby every night yeah. i'm yeah. i'm happy every day a little less diarrhea.
0: And, uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <You know?
1: laughs> and so, so yeah, I've just kept it going and, uh, and it's been, I, I don't know the exact amount of time, but it's been a few months now and it's just, um, yeah. And it's just been really profound to me and it's, um, and I listened. So there's a, there's a podcast, uh, a guy named andrew huberman has yeah, a podcast I love the huberman oh yeah 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 so he he did a, a few like i think a month ago he did a full podcast on alcohol mm-hmm. and I, I i listened to that and so keep in mind i'm like not drinking over the summer and in my head i'm like all right i'm just gonna you know this is a temporary thing and then uh i listened to that episode he did on on al- alcohol it's like two hours and it's just nothing but science of yeah. alcohol and and it the the my two takeaways were uh a i might have been like a mild alcoholic and not known it mm-hmm. for most of my adult life um and b I I don't know if I'll ever drink again um, wow. like I don't see a reason to yeah. it's mm-hmm. um but it also so it was kind of You know, on the one hand, it was a double edge, right? One, it kind of like showed me, you know, not drinking is way more powerful than you thought. And by the way, your drinking habits were way worse than you thought.
0: (laughs) Right, Um, right. So the contrast is even greater.
1: Yeah, so that's kind of been my journey with it. Um, And, you know, I, I think we could talk about like, it's been very eye-opening for me these last few months in a lot of ways, uh, because so much of my social life revolved around drinking, so much of my identity. You know, I was always, I was the party guy. I was the guy who, I, you know, I was the, the last guy to leave the dance floor at four in the morning. Like I was Hell the yeah, guy man. who was down to rage on a <laughs> Wednesday night. Like that, that was me, I was that guy. And so it's it's brought a lot of those questions around, you know, culture and identity and uh, social influence, you know, the friends that you keep. Um, Mm. I think moving to LA is actually, actually, you know, we talked a little bit about this before we started the, the episode, but I think moving to LA this year has actually made this possible because it removed me from the environment yeah. in new york which is so alcohol centric it removed me from my friends in new york who are alcohol centric mm-hmm. um and it put me in an environment that is very is way more health conscious right. and and it's just like in la it's just impractical to drink a lot like oh. you have to you have to drive so much and everything's so spread out that like it's just um, uh, and and if you do get hung over it every day's gorgeous and you want to go outside so, yes. you, so you feel like an idiot uh <laughs> you know yeah. um so it. It's it's been interesting in that sense too. Um, that I think if I hadn't left New York, I don't know if I would be on this path right now. But you kinda uh, had to forget really... yourself,
3: which is something that you say. You know, you kinda had to forget yeah. the story that you're telling yourself. And now you've like recreated this whole new person and, and LA yeah. was like a rebirth of that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's um yeah, it, it's hard. I, I think it's funny too, because I think I went through this process. I think I had a very unhealthy relationship with food and an unhealthy relationship with alcohol. And as strange as it sounds, I think I tackled the food one first. Um, so like my health coach and I, we spent years talking about like, okay, why did you eat like an entire cake yesterday? Or like, why'd you eat an entire pizza? Like, let's, let's talk about this. Like, this is not, <laughs> this is not practical. Uh, you know, I, I had some very unhealthy eating habits that I struggled with a lot. And, and anytime he tried to go there with me with alcohol, it was just like kind of a no fly zone. And, um, and so I think I had to like do all that work with food Mm -hmm. and and get, get healthy in that area before I was even willing to be like, Oh shit. Like I think I've been doing the same thing with alcohol, you know? Yeah. Um, he would
0: already done some of the work. So it wasn't brand new. Yeah. Interesting. I think, I think
1: it's part of it is there's a little bit of, uh, you know, alcohol is a little bit taboo. um, And I think, and and, and I think it's, there's, there's a little bit of denial there. You know, nobody, nobody wants to admit that they have a drinking problem, you know, no matter how severe the drinking problem. Um, And so I think it's, I always was able to, you know, my drinking habits were very unhealthy, but they weren't catastrophic like they are for some people. And so I was always able to kind of like say, well, my... My drinking is not catastrophic. Yeah. Therefore, I don't have a problem. Yeah. I'm not I'm not that
0: guy. Yeah. I'm yeah. not that guy. I'm not yeah, that guy. I'm
3: not yeah, that yeah, exactly. yes, yes, right.
0: yes. And we all do that.
3: Everybody does. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I don't know if that's like a new generational thing, because the old generation was like, you know, oh, it's the person who's drunk on the side of the road instead of the mom that drank a bottle of Chardonnay, you know? And it's just yep. kinda, um and no like you said, no one wants to be that person. And it's a very much denial thing. Well, and it's
0: yeah. it's denial, but it's also we we often forget the effects of alcohol you know right. that it's yeah. different than eating a cake right mm-hmm. it it actually sure. may, it actually gives you euphoria and like huberman Dopamine. explains there is a lot going on <sighs> inside of the head yep. that is yep. very very appealing yep. you know for a lot of yeah. us um, and then comes like the addiction to that um yeah. but, I do want to go back to one thing that you mentioned was the identity shift. And I think this is an important topic because a lot of our listeners are grappling with this stuff. Um, not so much, you know, the heavy alcoholic uh, alcoholism, but more so just making changes and, and being open about that and going out to social events and not being the person you used to be or at all, or not even going to the event. And that, that's tough and it is something yeah. that everybody who drinks consistently has to go through when they make those or when and if they make those changes because it is a part of our identities it's a part of the culture it's a part of life all of a sudden it's not and it's like who the fuck am I now
1: yeah it's yeah editing. i think there's you know identity is tough because i it, i think it's multifaceted part of it is like who do you believe you are that's okay. that's a piece of it is like am i a person who enjoys drinking am i a person who doesn't want to drink you know it, it's you have to def- kind of decide in your own head who you want to be first and i think that's kind of the easiest part you know is like intellectually getting there but um as my friend derek sivers says um I love if him. everything was if if everything was as simple as as intellectual as intellectual understanding we would all be millionaires with six packs yes. um <laughs> 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 uh you know, so intellectually getting there, I think is the easiest part. I think that the hard, the next part is, is, uh, you know, the behavior yeah, like giving yourself to, to actually take action. And I think the, the thing that gets people stuck is that, you know, no behavior happens in a vacuum. Everything is kind of interrelated. So, um, as you mentioned, like if you decide not to drink, well, you know, your, the, your three best friends their favorite thing to do is to go to happy hour on thursday so like how are you going to hang out with your best friends now Mm -hmm. um are you going to lose those friendships are you going to lose that those connections um or you know what are you going to do with the extra free time i mean for for me it's like i come from a family that likes to drink a lot you know it's like Mm -hmm. our thanksgiving christmas family reunions i mean everybody's just fucking pounding the bottles
3: and
1: that's Kinda just how we deal with each other, <laughs> but you know. So for me, it's it, there's a there's an open question of like you know when I go home for the holidays this year, like what's that gonna be like? I Ooh. I don't I, I haven't been sober, you know, with my my family and like for an extended period of time. Like I could not even tell you the last time I was yeah. sober over yeah. the holidays. Um, I was probably a teenager, uh, to be honest. So yeah, it's, it's scary. It's really scary. And so I think it, it could probably be useful. You know, I was very fortunate. Uh, I, I did not plan on becoming alcohol-free. It just kind of happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it happened because I was very fortunate in that moving cities, it broke a lot of those connections anyway so it's like okay i need to make a new group of friends anyway um who are the friends i want to be friends with right you know it's like i get to start over i get to pick kind of right. what i value or who who i want to spend my time with and so that was very fortunate for me but i think yeah it's you have to kind of like it can be helpful to kind of look at each of those connections and and try to think maybe kind of untie those connections first so if like the the thing you do with your best friends is always go to happy hours. Like maybe try to find start by finding other things to do with your friends first and then stop drinking. Right. Um, you know, kind of like set the stage to make that the behavior change easier. There's um, you know, in habit change research, like the most common finding is basically like it's will like willpower always fails eventually. Like maybe you can do it once, maybe you can do it five times, but eventually willpower is always gonna fail you. So the only way you can actually make a change is to alter your environment to make the change easy and inevitable. Um, so it's, it's like the difference between having pizza in the fridge and like willing yourself to not eat it versus just like fucking not having pizza in the fridge in the first place. Right. Just throw it out or don't buy it in the first place. You know, if you just don't buy it in the first place, it becomes 10 times easier than not. You know, binge on pizza. Yeah. Uh, so right. I, I think it's you can look at the the change in the same way. It's like, okay, what are what are what are factors in my social life and environment that are making alcohol feel inevitable? Um, and how do I, how do I change those or how do I alter those so that it doesn't?
3: Did you have anything that first month that really worked for you to not drink? Like, did you ever like have any like? Substitutions or things that you did instead of that action?
1: Uh, So here's the funny thing. You know, one of my justifications for drinking was always um, I tend to get bored very quickly, uh, Mm -hmm. especially at like social events.
2: Especially
0: especially (laughs) at happy hours. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah,
1: right. (laughs) And, and, uh, And so, you know, my my excuse, like, if I ever got stuck in a social situation where I was kind of bored, you know, my, I was like, well, if I drink, it stops being boring.
3: Absolutely. It makes, it makes,
1: makes boring people fun. And, yep. Um,
3: yep.
1: and so, uh, <laughs> and so that was my justification for a long time. And, and finally, I just hit a point where I was like, you know, maybe I just give my pers- myself permission to like, leave these events. Like,
2: Yeah, there you go. And
0: and
1: again, and again, it comes back to the identity thing because a huge part of my identity was like, I was the fun guy at the party. I was the guy, you know, I'm going to be the last to leave.
0: You don't want to let all these people down by leaving. Yeah, right.
1: (laughs) (laughs) My people need me. The poor party.
2: All
0: right. (laughs) The dance
1: floor needs me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Yeah. You know, so I think a lot of it was just, I needed to let that go. Right. uh, So that I could give myself the freedom to be like, yeah, if. If you go to a party and you're there for an hour and it's kind of kind of boring, like just go home. Go like on. it's not not the end of the world. Uh, yeah, you know, you. I've got plenty of friends. I don't need to be friends with everybody. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, and that's I mean, Kali, man, that's just one of many things that that become a new normal for you. You know, as yeah. we change these things, and you know, one of the things that I think about when <clears throat> when people make these heavy changes is is grief. Um, mm-hmm. And we actually did a whole episode on on grieving over alcohol, gr- grieving over even making changes to your to your consumption or your relationship. And, and you do you go yep. through these experiences and these feelings of kind of anger and, and you know, the, the standard mm-hmm. kind of process. And and that can apply to, you know, possible friendships. You know, there yep. are a lot of my friends who I consider to be my best friends are now not my friends anymore because I don't drink anymore. And that kind of sucked. You know, I mean, I had to kind of make that call at some point and, and, you know, they also had to make that call too. Like, do I want to hang out with this guy that doesn't drink anymore? Well, and if if they don't want to, that hurts, man, that hurts me, you know? So there's all that stuff too. Um, but I do love the idea of kind of bringing this back to, to a lot of your messaging, which is embracing that pain. And, um, and, and a lot of us avoid this change and avoid this, um, you know we get older in life and we and, and it does hurt worse the the hangovers are worse our bodies aren't processing mm-hmm. it the same and we and we kind of naturally have to make these changes and we're fearful of it and the pain is going to it's going to be too great or the suffering is going to be too great therefore i'm just going to keep fucking pouring it down my throat to feel better and it and and the fact is we we have to embrace this pain and and if yeah. there's and if there is a pain to choose it's this one right cuz the rewards are so great yeah. Yeah.
1: And it's, and again, I think it, it comes back to framing it properly. It's like, don't frame it as, uh, do I want to be drinking and miserable or sober and happy? Like, it's, it's, no, you're trading one set of problems for another. Do you want the al- the alcohol set of problems or do you want the so- sober set of problems? <laughs> yeah. The real and life. <laughs> yeah. yeah mm-hmm. And, it, and, and there are problems that come with dropping alcohol and letting it go. And, uh, but it it's ultimately it's a better set of problems in my opinion and um and you work through it you 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 make you make some new friends, you keep some old ones you find some new hobbies um like life goes on it's fine but right. it, it's yeah. uh it it is a process for sure
3: what would you say like are your top three benefits you mentioned sleep but of giving up drinking have you found
1: uh I feel like the, the mental clarity is, is astounding to me.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I, I, so it's funny. I realized when I did this, when I did the first month, I remember talking to my health coach and he asked me, he was like, when was the last time you went a month without drinking? And I was like, I think I was like 18.
0: And, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, the month before I started, <laughs>
1: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, But it was, uh, you know, after a few weeks, because one thing that I learned on the Huberman podcast is he said it's like alcohol, especially if you drink a lot, he said it's, it doesn't, it affects you mentally and physically. It affects you for weeks and months afterwards. Like if you, if you have been a heavy drinker for a long time, like it takes multiple months for your body and your brain to kind of fully reset back to a fully healthy state. And so after, you know, after about a, a few weeks, like just the mental clarity and the mental energy that I had was blew my mind. I was like, I feel like I've gone through my entire life, uh, you know, with like a weight vest on, yeah. you well, know? 70%. It, um,
0: look, look what you could have done.
1: I know, right? <laughs> like it's just... I'm just like holy shit what a, what have I been doing so it has been there've been a number of things like that that have kind of reinforced and I'm sure the sleeping better has has factored into that for sure um, I I think it's you know one thing that I've gotten older you know this this hasn't been a benefit but it's something that I've become more aware of as I the more time the more I go socialize sober is I realized that like pretty much any like if I was to make a list of like the 10 most embarrassing or regretful things I've ever said or done to other people (laughs) I was probably drunk on nine of them at least and uh, And hung over on number 10
0: (laughs) yeah exactly
1: (laughs) And so uh so that that's been an eye opener as well. It's just like I'm so much uh, more I guess I'm able to like kind of hold empathy and compassion a little bit more in uh, and, and situations that maybe before I would have blown up or said something rude or made an ass out of myself or whatever. So
3: I love that. Those oh, are that's great. beautiful. Yeah. yeah.
0: Those are great. Yeah. Mark Manson, why do you care? Because you have to.
3: <laughs> Boom! I love it. You, you have no choice. You have no, no choice.
1: choice. You, you, you have to give a shit. You have to give a fuck.
3: <laughs> you got to give a fuck.
1: It's impossible not to. It's just impossible. So if you if you have to give a fuck, you might as well give a fuck about good things.
3: Yeah. yeah. Oh, I loved your book Will, by the way. That was also really well done. The book the book Thank you did you. With Will Smith, um, is so Thank well you. done. Like it wasn't just a memoir. It was also like. A yeah. very powerful, like really inspirational book. So yeah. really like,
0: good. How was that? So, I got, I have to ask, how was it working with Will?
1: I, I love Will. I wonderful, right. wonderful dude. It's unfortunate what happened at the Oscars, yeah. but, but I have nothing but great things to say about him. Awesome. Funny funny coincidence with him too. Uh went twenty five years without having a drink. Oh
0: my gosh. No way. Oh wow. Wow.
1: Yeah. yeah. He uh he i think once he got kind of got his break in hollywood he he didn't drink until like maybe five years ago wow interesting um, yeah That's so, so very cool. like a total totally sober guy um still he's never had more than like one or two in his life so that was the other thing too is i realized that like i hadn't really been around people who didn't drink very much and yeah. being around being around him you know he i spent about two years with him and uh just seeing the level at which he operates and the level that his team operates was like very inspirational. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, one of the big things for him was, was absolutely no alcohol. God, so that's was so like, cool to
0: hear. Well, if you could yeah. just help, if you could get him on our podcast, that'd be great. So, um,
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> well, I want to meet with you yeah, yeah. and Derek Sivers. I would love to have like the two of uh, you together. I bet you guys are just like mind blowing the two of you together. Yeah. that'd be incredible. Yeah.
1: Derek's the man. I love. He's Derek.
3: the man. I, I mean, he's so cool. I love Derek. his like little thing. Like he's like if you email me, I'll respond. And I tried it, and he did respond. Hey, hey. yeah, so, that? yeah.
1: De- Derek <laughs> is is one of the most interesting people I've ever known. He's yeah. brilliant.
3: That's awesome. Very well, cool. I think you're amazing. So I can't thank you enough for taking this time, and, and I love what you're thank doing you. on Instagram too. Like your thing about anxiety and breathing. Like I like I look at that video and I watch it. So thank you. That's really awesome. It's good content. Cool. It's quality content.
0: Yeah, Mark. Thank, thank you, you so much. We um, we appreciate you feeling safe to come on here and share your your story for one of the first times, maybe the first time. Um, we're honored to to be a part of that. So thanks for doing that, and and thanks for agreeing to come on.
1: Absolutely. Thank you, guys.
0: The information and opinions shared on this podcast are solely those of the hosts and guests and are not a substitute for medical advice. If you feel like you may need professional help, here are some resources. For the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration hotline, call 1-800-662-4357 or visit smsa.gov. For listeners in the Charlotte, North Carolina community, visit DilworthCenter.org or call 704-372-6969 or visit the com or call 704-288-1097